I want to share with you guys tonight about God's amazing grace and God's amazing peace and how it works in our lives. And I want to use the letter to the Ephesians as uh, our guide for this tonight. I was reading Ephesians in my personal devotions and the word grace just kept popping up throughout Ephesians. And I felt the Lord just putting this message on my heart to share tonight based on this. And that's what I want to use as our guide. Um, and hopefully we get a, a, a little more sense of what grace is all about tonight. So turn to Ephesians, if you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2, and we're going to begin there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul opens this letter with a greeting that he gives in, in all of his letters. Notice what he says here. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something important that is important in, in, in Paul's greeting here. To just pass up this greeting as just a simple greeting is to miss the point. Paul's greetings were more than just a formality. For Paul, his greeting was a deep, deep wish, a desire for the people that he was writing to. Notice what he says to them here. He says, grace to you. Grace, it's God's unmerited favor. Grace is, is supernatural enablement and empowerment from God for salvation and for daily sanctification. It's for the Christian life. The word grace comes from another word which means to rejoice. And when you begin to understand the word grace and you experience it in your life, there is definitely a rejoicing in your heart. When you understand and experience God's grace, there is such a boost in your spirit that takes place. When a person, a, uh, when a Christian, a person who has given his or her life to the Lord goes through through days when you, when you just feel beaten down sometimes. When you feel like sometimes you're in a valley. When you look around and nothing seems to be happening. You come to God's word and you look to God's grace. And then there's that lifting in your spirit. There's that rejoicing that comes to your soul. And a Christian comes to understand this. We serve a God that is filled with loving kindness. He is a God of grace. It's something that we, we, we need to truly value and appreciate in our lives. Grace is what forgives the sinner. And what brings joyfulness and thankfulness to a person's heart. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now I am found. Was blind, but now I see. This is what changes an individual. Grace. Grace is what God expresses to us. It's the changing power of God. It's what takes a person who is a sinner, who is bound and blinded by sin and lifts him or her up out of the sludge of sin. God's grace. Grace changes a person. It transforms a person. And it's God who does that. It's grace that does this. Grace is that free expression of God to mankind. Mankind who rebelled against him. It enters into a person's life and deals with his or her sin and transforms a person and fills their heart with gladness. So God's grace is for salvation and God's grace continues in the Christian life. It's the source of our salvation, but it's also the supply that we draw from during salvation. It's the ongoing willingness of God to deal with the sinfulness of even his people, the church, and as a result, fill a person's heart with rejoicing. It does for me. When I, when I end my day, when I go through my day and I'm at the end of it and I look back and I see God's grace in different parts of my day and his life, I rejoice. I rejoice because I say, God, you're so graceful to me. You put up with me. You, 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 you change me. You forgive me. God's grace. And if you're here tonight and you've been living under the grace of God today, you know what I'm talking about. You're a different person because of it. Grace has impacted you so much because you realize God loves you so much. And that he freely expressed that love by sending his son into this world to die for your sins. And when you take a moment to consider this, man, that's an awesome thought, you guys. <laughs> it's amazing. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. goes on to say, In Him, speaking of Jesus, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. There's a word in this verse called redemption. It means that a person who gives their life to the Lord has been purchased. It means to be purchased off a slave block. Paul is using a word picture of slavery of that day to help us understand the price that was paid to free the Christian from sin's enslaving power. Redemption means that a Christian has been delivered from the slavery of sin by the death of Christ through his blood, it says in that verse. Redemption through his blood. It mentions his blood here in verse 7. Because you can't take away grace 
away from what it costs God to express it. When you truly realize what it costs God to express grace, then we can truly realize the wickedness of sin and the undeserving state of mankind. It cost God his only son on the cross. It cost God a son, his son, a lot of suffering to express his grace to you and to me. Grace is a free expression from God, but it was very expensive for God to be able to express it. I believe that we sometimes forget this, especially for the Christian. I mean, we, we, yeah, we value grace. We take part in it. We, you know, we use it all the time. But I think sometimes we forget how much it costs God for us to be able to partake of that grace. And yes, it's free. We cannot earn it. But we need to understand that, what it costs God for that grace. And, and, and as Christians we got to make sure that we don't abuse that grace. Don't abuse it. As Paul said, shall we continue in, in, in sin that grace may abound? No. Don't abuse it. Yeah, it's there for us. Yeah, we, we can, it's there for us. But don't abuse it. No, don't have that mentality that says, oh yeah, I know I can go do whatever I want to do in sin because God's grace is there. No. Don't abuse it. To talk about grace as just the kindness of God that is expressed is to miss something very important. We truly need to realize that embedded deep into the word grace is what it cost God. He came and he died a wicked, cruel death on the cross so that we might have his amazing grace manifested in our life. And that great grace we have for us tonight is a result of a holy God reaching down into the filth of this world and sending his son to die for you and for me. And like it says here in verse 6 of chapter 1, notice what it says. It says, To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. The ultimate purpose, you guys, the ultimate purpose of God's redemptive plan is that His glorious grace receives praise. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. We find the word grace again. Back up, though, to verse 4 before you go into, we go into verse 5 here. Because we get the full impact. Look at verse 4. He says, But God... See that? Those two words stop right there. But God. That's important. The word but. It's a turning point. It's a turning point of hope in the midst of gloom. These two words, in a sense, contain the whole gospel. But God. These two words tell what God has done, how God has intervened in many of our lives. But God, without but God, we who have given our lives to the Lord were in totally in a totally hopeless situation. Before God's intervention, we were in what verses 1 to 3 here talk about. We were in the graveyard of sin. Look at verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2. 
to get understand where we were before God's grace, before but God. It says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Verse 3, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, it says in the next verse. This is the condition of a person before giving his or her life to the Lord. And you know what the great news is tonight, you guys? But God is still working to intervene in anyone's life who needs salvation from God. I love that. No matter what you have gone through, no matter what issues you may have in your life tonight, there is still but God. There can be that great turning point in your life tonight. He can break through all the situations that we go through in life if we allow him. Because he is more powerful than any situation that we may go through. There is still but God. Notice the rest of verse 4 into, into verse 5 now. It says, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, notice what he said, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. Notice what it says here in verse 5. He made us alive. Alive. That that. It has the meaning to, to cause to live, to give life. The act of God imparting divine life in regeneration to the believing sinner. This is speaking, you guys, of resurrection power. Alive. In other words, the same power which brought Christ to life that, made, that has made the Christian spiritually alive. And it can make anyone spiritually alive if you give your life to the Lord. And the question is tonight, you guys, have you been made alive with Christ? Has God put his new principle of life within you? Do you have a new spiritual direction in what you do in life? Are you born again? Have you been redeemed? If you cannot answer these questions positively, then you need to seek after God until you can. Christianity is Christ, Christ alive in his people, Christ in us. And here again, the word grace is directly associated with what it costs God to express it. Notice the end of verse 5, where he says, By grace you have been saved. It is by grace that a person is saved. God's favor to, to the utterly undeserving. The free unmerited favor of God. Grace is part of the character of God. God was, God is, and he will ever be a God of grace. That's his character. And he saves us by his great grace. 
I like the way one person said it. He said, the grace of God is the most amazing theme in all the Bible. The most astounding truth ever proclaimed is that God is and remains absolutely just. And at the same time, he justifies. He makes just and right the one who, being unjust, unrighteous, defiled and guilty, puts his faith in Jesus. A person is saved by grace. Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. See, God desires to display the glory of his grace in our lives in order that others, when they see our lives, whether it's our friends, our family, people in, in generations to come, he's talking about, might look at our life and say, wow, look at the grace of God in his or her life. Look at the kindness of God, how incredible it is in his or her life. Look at what God has done. And that's what God wants to do, you guys. God wants to reflect and exhibit his grace and kindness in our lives. This is what he did in my life. He saved me. And then other family members in my family saw the grace of God in my life. And they followed. And all glory to him for that. And he wants us to be those extensions and representatives of his grace. That's the example he desires for us to follow. But it must begin in our own lives. And so he says in verse 8 here of chapter 2, he says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's the grace of God that saves us. His love is the motive and the means of our salvation. Notice it says here, is through faith. In other words, a person, you're not automatically saved because, you, because Christ died. But, a person is saved when he or she puts their trust. They put faith in God's gracious provisions. Trusting faith. That's the means by which one accepts God's free salvation. It's putting one's trust in the gospel that is revealed to us. Which is Jesus Christ died to reconcile us to God. And he is the substitute for the payment of our sins. And notice what it says at the end of verses 8 and 9. Paul says, And it is not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. He is referring to salvation. And he's in essence saying that our salvation does not have its own source in man. It's not of yourselves. But its source is God's grace, for it is the gift of God. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. It's, Paul says, If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Paul was talking about his ministry to the Gentiles. The word dispensation there is a word that means managing the affairs of a household or the office of one who had ministered. 
It basically means stewardship, managing something for someone. And Paul here in our passage tonight, he's referring to the stewardship, the management, the duty that was entrusted to him. And he was a good steward of that office entrusted to him because he proclaimed the blessing of the gospel. And to express the stewardship that was entrusted to him, Paul uses the word grace here. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation, the stewardship, he says, of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. It has a twofold meaning here in what he's saying. He's saying there was the grace given to him to go minister to the Gentiles, the gospel. And there is grace that was given directly to Paul that he should be the apostle to the Gentiles. Two applications of grace are interwoven in that, in that verse. And my point in sharing this, you guys, is that that's the wonder of God's grace in a person's life. God, he lifts us out of the gutter. He sets our feet on the rock of Jesus. And not only that, he lets us get involved And what he's up to in reaching his creation. (laughs) And Paul is basically saying to the church in Ephesus, he's saying that this ministry I have to you is by the grace of God. Paul used to persecute Christians. He stood there while a guy named Stephen was being stoned to death. And now he's so grateful by the fact that Only by God's grace, he was able to be a part of God's ministry. God's plan. And guys, that is the beautiful work of God's grace. And he, that he allows the believer to take part. To be used. Look at what Paul says about this ministry in verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And then notice what he says in verse 8 of chapter 3 here. He says, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. It's crazy. Whenever Paul talks about his ministry or his salvation, the word grace is wrapped all around it. And he is basically saying here in verse 8, I didn't deserve for God to stop me on the road to Damascus. And I certainly don't deserve for God to use me in the way that he has used me. It's just by God's amazing grace God saved my life. He transformed me and I am no longer the same and I walk in awe of His grace. Are you living that way? Are you rejoicing in your heart that God loves you like He does? This is the loving kindness of God. He broke through the darkness of this world with His light. He sent his his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins and mine. And if you're here tonight and, and you've not given your heart to the Lord, know that his grace is here. 
His grace is here tonight. It's here for salvation. And by His grace, He wants to use you to minister to others, your family, your, your husband, your wife, your co-workers, your friends, college students. Look at uh, chapter 4, verse 7. Here Paul speaks of the ministry that all Christians have within the church body. He says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And what Paul is telling us is that spiritual gifts are given to every Christian. He says, to each one of us was given. Spiritual gifts are a gift of grace. Notice he says, grace was given. Again, there's grace given at salvation. Grace is given in everyday life. And here he says, we are giving grace for spiritual gifts. It's a win-win situation. <laughs> this is grace. It's, uh, this grace is the enabling power that makes the spiritual gifts function for the glory of God. It's by God's grace that he even uses us. And when you begin to realize how rotten our lives were before we gave our lives to the Lord and God broke through, and by His grace, He saves us. And on top of that, He graces us with spiritual gifts so that we can minister, He can minister through us. Again, that's an incredible thing to ponder, to think about. Look at verse 29 of chapter 4. In this section, Paul is exhorting the believer to... He's now talking about the believer, the, the walk of the believer, and he's talking to the believer about to walking in new in regards to our practical conduct. God in His grace, He saves us, and then by His grace, He helps us in the everyday, practical, day-to-day -day conduct in our Christian life. And he, the Lord is cons he's concerned about the practical things, the day-to-day -day areas in our life, as well as the bigger issues in our life. And notice what he says here in verse 29 of chapter 4. He's talking about the practical. He says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. That word corrupt there, let no corrupt word. That word corrupt, it's a word that is used of rotten fruit. Fruit that is rotting. And Paul is saying, don't talk to each other in a way that rots away communication. And in contrast, he says, Christians should speak words to build up each other. What is good for necessary edification. That's what he says. And again, guys, this is what God can do and desires to do in all our lives. God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, can transform us so that our words are edifying and they impart grace to others. It helps us in our everyday life, practical areas of our everyday life. In the last place that grace appears in Ephesians is in the last verse of the book. Look at uh, Ephesians 6, verse 24. It says, Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. It's so awesome because Paul ends his letter the way he began, 
with the wish, with the prayer, with the desire. And this is a wonderful way to close our lives. There's nothing more needful for us than when we come to the close of our lives and the realization that we love the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. That's proof that you're born again. And you guys, there's, there's all kinds of aspects to God's grace. We can go on. But I just tonight I just want you to understand that sense of not deserving it, which is very important to understanding the word, and we need to know that God gives it freely, but it was expensive to him to express it because he sent his son. But the starting point is that grace begins with dealing with our sins. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 2, for where we began. Paul says, grace to you, and then he says, and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul not only wishes the people he is writing to grace, but he's also wishing them peace. The word peace basically means the absence of conflict, the absence of any irritant which will interrupt the oneness of a relationship. It speaks of something separated by a break that is now joined together. A person receives grace, excuse me, a person receives peace with God when he or she comes to repentance and gives her life to to him. And the ongoing beautiful benefit is a person can have access to the peace of God for all the situations of life. All the things we go through. And just as the Ephesians had to live in the midst of a materialistic, pagan, sex-filled, perverted society, so do we. And it is by God's grace and it is by God's peace that we can remain faithful to him in the midst of that kind of environment. But the thing is tonight, folks, is that you cannot have peace until you receive God's grace. You have to have God's grace to receive it. Grace is the fountain out of which peace is the stream Sin has to be dealt with before man can have God's peace. And the grace of God is available if you'll come and deal with the sin in your life. It's that great grace, that cleansing power of his blood. And then the cleansing after that, the peace of God comes. Jesus said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And there's a lot of people in this day and age, in the society that we live in, that are trying to obtain peace by going through the wrong avenues. Jesus says he can give you peace that is far different and far better than what the world has to offer. There are a lot of people whose hearts are troubled in this day that we live in. There are a lot of hearts that are agitated, hearts that are stirred up, restless, anxious, distressed hearts. 
And a lot of people experiencing this inward commotion going on inside that takes away peace. But God is here tonight to offer real peace through His grace. Paul, in another letter he wrote in Titus 2.11, I love, it just sums us all up. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's grace has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ who was full of grace and truth. There's a man by the name of Zacharias in the Gospel of Luke who used that same word. That word where Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared and he said in Luke 1 to 79, to give light, that's that word appear. He says to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. God sending his son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die for your sins and mine. The light of the grace of God's salvation dawning upon a sin darkened world. John 3.17 says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. It's for all types of people, including those who the world despises. No one is beyond the reach of God's grace. But the Bible is very clear, you guys, that there are two separate final destinations for all people. Those who by God's grace repent and put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they they will go to heaven. And those who do not repent and, and put their faith in Christ will pay the penalty of eternal separation from God in hell. But the good news of God's grace is that no one is beyond the reach of that incredible, amazing grace tonight. Paul was a persecutor of the church. He called himself the chief of sinners. But he experienced God's grace through the cross. And if the chief of sinners can find mercy and grace, so can you. I pray that you will experience God's grace that brings salvation. I want to close with this story. Very quick story here of Dr. Christian Bernard. He was the first man in the world to perform uh, a heart uh, transplant operation. He was talking to his transplant patient and he asked the patient, would you like to see your heart? The patient said that he would. So they met in the evening and Dr. Bernard pulled out a glass container and he handed it to the person. And inside the container was the patient's old heart. The patient was stunned into silence. The first man in history to ever to hold his heart in his hands. He stood there silent for a while and then he finally spoke and he asked all kinds of technical questions. Then he turned to take a final look at the contents of the glass container and he said, This is my old heart that caused me so much trouble. And my goal here tonight, you guys, is in these passages that we've looked at, is for those of us who have given our lives to the Lord, that we would see the old heart that gave us so much trouble before we gave our lives to the Lord. And to see and truly understand through the incredible grace of God, the new heart that we have in Him, the new life in Christ, 
the grace that is given to us. And, and within this new life in Christ, how it places us with a new standard, a new measure of living. And if you're here tonight and you've not given your heart to the Lord, my deepest desire is that you would see the contrast tonight of a life that is apart from the Lord. And the new life, the new heart that you can have by receiving God's great grace in your life. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank you, Lord, for just revealing the things that you do through your word. And Father, as everyone sitting here tonight, Lord, you know where their heart is. You know where they stand tonight, Lord. You know that those who are watching on the internet tonight, Lord. But Father, your great grace is available and you desire so much to bring that grace to people's lives. And I pray if there's anyone here tonight, if there's anyone listening through the internet, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that tonight would be the night of salvation. If there's anyone here tonight and you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the believers are praying, raise up your hand, just slip it up, and we just want to acknowledge that and we want to pray with you. If there's anyone here tonight, just raise up that hand. God's speaking, God's Spirit is moving, and He wants to touch you tonight by His incredible grace. And you can pray that right now. Just pray this prayer with me. Father, I come to you and ask that you would forgive me of all my sins. Give me a brand new heart, just like the story we heard of. Transplant it, Lord, with your grace, your mercy, your spirit. I want to walk with you from this day forward. I repent of my sins and give my life to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.